Big Fluff. You have a gift, I'm telling you. Oh, stop. Stop, you're going to make me. You're going to make me cry. Nobody has ever said that to me. Nobody. Paolo, why don't you have your own line? These are just mock-ups. I can't afford to get serious. With your gift and your talent and your vision. Are you kidding? Gucci needs no blood. Goodbye, 1930s. Hello, 80s. Huh? You took the words right out of my guts. Paolo Gucci is coming. And I'm Randy McIntyre. And this is the Silver Linings Playback. It's in a podcast where we watch the Milan movies and we find the Silver Linings. And this week, we continue our look at other movies that try to win the Oscar, but they don't, they don't quite win the Oscar. Oh, they don't win. It breaks my they heart. Oh. It, breaks, it breaks my heart. It, it is so sad. And, they uh, make it this a movie week. and then they the make academy. it a movie. They know I like. Why don't the Academy like it a movie? Oh, come on, Academy. It's a good movie. You should movie. like it a movie. She's like a good. movie. Give a, little, give a little award to the movie. They try so hard. Maybe sit it, down, eat a little gobbledygook, and watch yeah. it a movie again. Watch it a movie again. Give it a movie another chance. I think you like it a movie if you, you watch like it a movie. movie again. Yeah, go watch it a movie. <laughs> Uh, this movie is uh, The House of the Gucci. <laughs> it's The House of the Gucci. It's a good movie. Really, Scott, he's a good boy. He's a, oh, Gucci Gucci, the patriarch of the Gucci family. He's a good boy. Oh, they he's make it a clothes. They make it a purses. They make it a leather goods. They're from a Florence, Italy. And they make uh, it a goods. Yeah, sure, they had their ups and downs. But ultimately, it's about a family. It's a family. Everybody loves a family. It's you not gotta a, love a family. It's not like a godfather, but they're not good. It's like, it's like, what if the, uh, the godfather was a, a better movie? <laughs> what if then the godfather had none of the excitement? Oh, they got a father. And it was what just long. Had, what if you had uh, nobody doing a good accent in the entire godfather? I don't know what you're talking about. To me, the accent, they sounded super authentic. Oh, but it is a super authentic accent. It's a good, you know, the, when the accent hit my eye like a big piece of pie, that's acting. That's a modded. That's a acting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we watched House of Gucci. <laughs> we did. I just want you to know, early silver lining listeners, we debated doing that the whole show. <laughs> yeah. And um, if if Joel hadn't cleared his throat, I would have kept going. I know. And I, th- I know you too well. And we've worked together too long that I was like, I have to. Someone has to. To pull the plug. Well, yeah, if you didn't stop it, no way was I stopping. <laughs> no, I know that. So that to you, the audience, is perhaps the silver lining that we that... Th- this could still be. Hey, does everybody like it a movie? <laughs> we do the accent, you like it accent. Oh man, that was fun though.
Oh, that was a lot of fun. I that was my favorite start to an episode in a minute. For it sure. Good. It was good. Yeah. Um uh, You know what's sad? I don't think as ridiculous as we were trying to be, I don't actually think we're more ridiculous than the accents in the movie. No, I don't think we are. Um I was thinking about this today, and I think you and I would both agree that uh, one of our favorite and perhaps most underrated sketch comedy shows of all time is The State. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say, and yes. <laughs> and I, th- so there is one of my favorite sketches is uh, the, Pope. the Pope Comes to Dinner. Yeah. It, if you haven't seen it, stop everything you're doing. If you're driving right now, immediately just brakes. cut the wheel to the shoulder. Do not shoulder. pull over. Just yeah. stop in the middle of the freeway. Everyone will understand when you explain why. It's like, but, I just watch the Pope. <laughs> but yeah, it's, if you've never seen it, yeah, it's the characters from the state. And yeah, they're, they're just preparing to have a dinner with the Pope. And they are just doing those accents and they're just saying things like, oh, the Pope, he's a so nice. It's a so nice of the Pope. And then they start like making a mess and they're like, oh, no, I got a grape of juice all over my nasa water suit. <laughs> the Pope, I drink all the grape of juice. <laughs> yeah. So it's that, uh, which I will, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I don't know if you've been watching History of the World Part 2. I uh, haven't yet, but I really want to. But yeah, I've been watching it and it is delightful. But they had uh, a lot of the, it was I'm trying to remember exactly who was in it. I know it was Ken Marino and Latruglia. And I think there was another. But it was like multiple guys from the state were actually in one of the segments from History of the World Part Two as um, different, like, I guess, like archdiocese or I don't know exactly. But they were within the Catholic Church, you know, big wigs. Yeah. And they were deciding, you know, when they were sort of having the conference to to, to canonize the Bible and decide what right. things would be in and out. They were playing those characters, but they were essentially it made me think of that sketch. And I feel like that was intentional that whoever the people behind obviously Mel Brooks, but like Ike Barinholtz the rest of the and team. Yeah. the rest of the team, Nick Kroll, all of them. Clearly, I feel like knew that they were intentionally giving a nod to the state uh, Pope sketch. And that made me very happy. But yeah, I, this movie, I think any discussion of this movie starts and ends with the accents. Yeah. Because uh, I think, I think we talked about it maybe on an episode of hobo radio or something, but when Lady Gaga was giving the interview about, preparing for the part oh yeah where she did her very lady gaga like you know i became fabrizia and i i had to write a letter to two of myself uh, and say fabrizia i'll release you it was some something like that yeah. it was just and and just like <laughs> salma hayek's face Yes, yeah, because they're they're doing press for this movie, and it's like doing, one it's of those. A, it's a press junket, basically. It's a press junket where they're side by side, and the, you know they cattle call roll in reporters one after another to talk to them for ten minutes. And yeah, it's Lady Gaga dead serious talking about how she had to release Fabrizia, who had possessed her while she made this movie, and then she had embodied her so well. And Salma Hayek, who I'm sure we'll talk about later when we get to the silver linings. Uh, just realizing how silly that sounded. Well, and and I'm sure that some of it was that it was like the ninth time that Salma Hayek was hearing the same spiel. And just it's so patently ridiculous because 
like Lady Gaga, who I think is a good actress. Yes. Um, I don't even think she was bad in this movie if you can put the accent aside. But which is a big put aside. That's a big ask. Yeah, that's that's a big that's a big ask. That's a big ask. Because she Uh, had a great ask and you enjoyed it right up it. (laughs) Um, No, and it's just. Her accent, it's the Pope sketch accent. Yeah, her. Look, I mean, maybe I don't know if we need to break it down person by person, but I think we picked the clip that we picked to start the show to illustrate that clearly her and Jared Leto are perhaps in some sort of competition to see who can do a sillier accent without Ridley Scott calling cut, because that's all I get from that scene is like, no, is he going to let us? Is he is he going to he's he's going to call us, right? He's going to know that. We're, OK, no, he's not. He's just counting a pile of money. So I, I fully picture him fully Gus Van Zanting at the director's chair. Jesus, Jared, I said I'm busy. <laughs> it's like, was that a good uh, Ridley Scott? Uh? Yeah, it was great. You were just like the guy that you were playing. Yeah. Well, and like I, I, I texted to you while I was watching the movie that Jared Leto is essentially doing an impression of a guy who read John Cazale's Wikipedia page. One hundred percent. And yeah, I, as soon as you said that, it, first of all, it made me laugh. But yes, like you look at because also if you haven't seen this movie and if you somehow missed all the Internet stuff, they have him in prosthetics like to look like a blurry, you know, pixelated photo from The Godfather. <laughs> like where they, they had an old phone like with a <laughs> shitty data plan so it didn't like load completely. It's, it's shot on an LG chocolate. <laughs> but they were like, I think we get the idea. Uh, he gets it. <laughs> Cuz it's just which by the way, can we have a moment. This is a kind of a tangent, but I feel like it's related to this movie, but it's also it's an endemic in Hollywood and we need to address this and I think we need to officially call for a stop to this because I just want to put it on the record. There are and I know this is going to blow Hollywood's mind uh, fat people and people who are not classically handsome who act. I just don't think they know that because they used to know that in like the 70s and before that. But now, oh, who are we going to cast to play the penguin in the Batman? We have to get Colin Farrell and put a Classically bunch of... Classically handsome Colin Farrell. <laughs> we got to put a bunch of prosthetics on him. Oh, we, we need... There's so much prosthetics on him that you don't know if he's playing the penguin or Clayface. Yeah, and he's he's got weird like puck marks on his face. I don't know what's going on. It's weird every day. And also, you, you hired him to... To look like that, and then also he's doing essentially like a New Jersey accent, which means any actor who was on The Sopranos could be playing this part. Vincent Pastore was sitting by the phone. And we know that because we call him every week to update him on On lasagna and cubanos Cubanos, and he's like any movement is it happening and we're like no and he's like well it's fine i'm waiting to hear back on the penguin i was actually just talking to joey coco diaz we both auditioned and we just keep hoping if one if we don't get it that the other guy gets it and we're like that's why you're our guys yeah that's why we love you so much (laughs) but uh but yeah it's like that made no sense to me obviously the academy awards just happened they gave an Academy Award to Brendan Fraser for putting on a fat suit, like, again, because 
you know, we we can't first of all, don't need to make the whale. Just want to publicly state that. But if you're going to make it, there are fat people that you could have cast one of them and it probably would have turned out better. Might have. Might have. Might not have. Entirely possible. It might not have. But, but I just, it might have. It's just weird because I feel like you and I are old enough that we remember the the way the fat suits were created and intended to be used, which are in regrettable 90s comedies where. Right. Like Norbit. Norbit. You know, any Eddie Murphy vehicle post like the good ones, like after he start, stopped doing Beverly Hills Cops and we were like, look, Eddie, man, we love you, but I don't know. Why are you saying yes to these scripts? All have fat suits. It's like saying yes. I'm pitching these scripts. <laughs> yeah, I want to play everyone in the clumps. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it was that. You know, obviously Monica from Friends needs to have used to have been fat, so we got to put her in a fat suit. Dodgeball, we got to put Ben Stiller in a fat suit. Like, but it was dumb, and it shouldn't have happened. But it was at least. I feel like those movies realized it was inherently silly to put someone in a fat suit, and it was meant to be comedy. And I, I'm not saying that we should go back to that, but I'm saying I at least understood it conceptually better than prestige dramas and action movies sincerely going with fat suits. Yeah. What happened to Robert De Niro destroying his body by playing elderly Jake LaMotta? If you called Christian Bale tomorrow and told him he'd need to put on 400 pounds to play the whale, he would die doing it, but he would do you it. You know that Aronofsky thought about calling Christian Bale to play that part. He's like, no, I can't. I can't do that to him. No, like, he's his, like mat- his heart much. is not OK. <laughs> like the yo-yo dieting that Christian Bale, I still Bale, who I can't remember the exact order, but I know that he did the machinist, a Batman. I, like, I can't remember if he did. I think he did begins machinist returns that's what yeah okay uh, dark knight but that's that's what i thought too where it's like he did two batman movies and in between them he lost all the way to do the machinist and then had to bulk back up like he got he put almost packed almost 200 pounds of muscle onto his frame because he's not a generally large man i don't think yeah um like i think he's like you know average to slightly below average height and just sort of a naturally slim build, but like weighed like 210 for Batman Begins, got down to like 130 for The Machinist, and then back up to like 220 for Dark Knight. And like knew that the Dark, like had already signed the contract, knew that he was doing three movies with Nolan. So that was a choice. He decided to do that. Willingly. Willingly. And I'm not even saying that's the right choice, but I'm saying fat suits are silly and we should stop it. And we don't need like, what is the point of casting Jared Leto to then make him unrecognizable in latex makeup and have him do a voice that's silly and unrecognizable? Like you're really going out of your way to, I guess, maybe trick a handful of people into going like, wait, that was Jared Leto when you like. It would make it so much easier on you to just cast someone who fits this part and you know have them do it. Who? The the people behind the movie Monster. Yeah. You know why? Because uh, they were monsters. They were monsters. For what they did. Yeah. Because uh, Charlize Theron might be one of the top five most beautiful women to ever walk the face of the earth. It's, you know, she's in the conversation. Yes. Yeah. And, and like. They they uglied her up quite and a she bit got an to Oscar, play and, it, and she won an Oscar. And Brendan Fraser got an Oscar, which also don't think I didn't notice that. 
like Brendan Fraser had put on some weight, but obviously then they, you know, put on a fat suit still for him to be the whale. But then when he wins the award, clearly they had been like, well, you got to slim down. You got to well, you got to like lose all this weight now because that then it's not acting. If you when you stand up to get the trophy, you have to be, you know, as slim as possible like that. That felt very clear to me. Oh, yeah. No, 100 percent. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to get us back on track. Watch this. So we mentioned Christian Bale. We mentioned uh, Batman Begins and those movies, which will always make me think of Kevin Conroy, who we were actually talking about before we started, uh, who once told me about the voice that Christian Bale did that uh, he actually faulted the director, Christopher Nolan, and everyone else because he said, as an actor, you're going to try things and it's up to the people making the movie to tell you if they're working or not and he also said you never want to do something that takes the audience out of the movie and is distracting and i think all of those things are applicable to these accents in house of gucci yeah it's like it's it's so ridiculous like you got al pacino might win the harrison ford prize for this movie Look, Al Pacino, who I dearly love, will overact in anything. And the fact that he's not even trying, I think, tells you everything you need to know about the movie of like, oh, look, man. OK, this movie's a mess, but we're going to bring Alan. He's going to bring that energy and just that like manic chaos. And that'll be fun. And then he shows up and he's like, hey, uh, my, my son is uh, he's trying to be Gucci. Yeah, it's be Gucci. Al Pacino, whose diet has existed exclusively on scenery over the last two decades <laughs> he doesn't even go to craft services he's like just give me that flat just give me <laughs> i'm just gonna eat that set piece <laughs> yeah i'll eat the plastic fruit They're like on the bowl on this table i don't want the fruit from crafty like get yeah, it away no, from me <laughs> just um and and like he is harrison fording his way through this movie yeah he seems like they woke him up from a nap and made him say his lines in every scene that he's and, in. and and i do want to point out uh if maybe we have some first-time listeners we here at silver linings playback love honor and respect harrison ford so much and the, and the thing we love most about him is just the way he collects a paycheck in his 70s no i mean if you go back and you listen to our episode about uh, Rise of Skywalker, our clearly biggest silver lining <laughs> was when Harrison Ford showed up on that set in the clothes that he just threw on. He did not change into Han Solo outfit and he one take just delivered some lines to Adam Driver. Adam Driver, look at this. Every tangent that we're on brings us back. Brings us back to House it's of Gucci. It's amazing how all these connections to the House of Gucci. But no, Harrison Ford in that in Rise of Skywalker is utterly hilarious. Also, <laughs> I, let's see if this brings us back. Man, since we keep this is Oscar movie month and we're just saying failed Oscar movies, they actually did it. They after a lot of times they've they've tried to orchestrate moments like these. They they built an entire show famously around giving Chadwick Boseman uh, an Academy Award that then didn't happen at the end of the night. But this time, Harrison Ford came out on stage to announce the Best Picture nominee, and it actually went to everything everywhere all at once, which allowed Kihoi Kwan to walk up on that stage and hug Harrison Ford and everyone to do the side-by-side -side photos 
of Indiana Jones and short round hugging side by side with Harrison Ford and Kihoi Kwan. And it, it brought me back. I think there are some years where I'm like, why do I watch the Oscars? Why do I put myself through this? And why this one, I? this one bought me another five years. I think that's how good <laughs> no, that moment alone. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, well, like all of the awards for everything ever all at once were great, but just seeing Kihoi Kwan and, uh, and Harrison Ford hug each other. It it melted oh. my cold, dead heart. Yeah. As someone who might be the biggest defender of Temple of Doom in the Indiana Jones pantheon. I think we have to do that movie at some point. I think we do. Because we both love it. And, you know, it's not beloved, you know. And it's of the three and only three Indiana Jones movies that they did. It's the one that people don't like. And I mean... I will concede that there's an argument to be made for uh, Last Crusade to be the, the second best. I think I prefer Temple of Doom. I think that, yeah, I think Temple of Doom is doing something more interesting than Last Crusade is great. They're all great. Oh, I love they're Here, all great. They're here's all the crazy thing. Phenomenal. All three of those movies are bangers. They're you know? all 10 out of 10 to me. But uh, but yeah, I think it took a bigger swing and I appreciate that. Also. I'll defend that opening musical number in Indiana Jones. Anything goes great. No great notes. song. You can you can roll your eyes at me. You can hate me for saying it. I love it so much. Kick Cole that Porter diamond can write around. a song. Yeah, kick the diamond around. Oh, it's great. It's so good. Club Obi Wan, baby. I'm yeah. I'm there for it. That's great. Oh, when they're playing on the Lazy Susan. Oh. It's great. Oh. Man, you know what? Oh. I just want to go watch. Can we record that next week? Was that failed Oscar bait? Can we just do Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Yes. Um, anyways, no, uh, but yeah, this movie, it's so dull. It yeah, okay, yeah. Let's back on track. So we talked about the accents ad nauseum. We're good on the accents, but I think, yeah, that that you nailed that. That the accents are a funny thing to talk about, and I'm kind of glad they're there because this movie should be fun and should be ridiculous. And I like Ridley Scott, but I think you even said to me, we were talking about this, that as good as he is when he's good, his filmography is surprisingly hit or miss. Well, he's like, he's significantly more prolific than I think most people realize. Oh, yeah. Because he does like a movie a year almost. Well, and he did two movies when this came out because he did this and the last duel. Like they both came out in the same year. No, he makes a lot of movies and it's like almost to the point where it's like the the stop clock is right twice a day. (laughs) It's not quite that bad. um, He's he's a, he's a fantastic director. No. And I, but I actually think that's the problem with this movie is he is a great director but I don't think this movie needed a great director. I think this movie needed Joel Schumacher or someone like, and I'm not saying that Joel Schumacher is not a great director. Don't, don't misunderstand me, but I think, but he's a schlocky director, right? I think that, um, Ridley Scott is a prestige drama, like play it straight, uh, you know, play it serious director where Joel Schumacher does camp and this movie yeah. needed camp. I will say, uh, if pressed to pick a least favorite director, I would probably say Baz Luhrmann. Yes. Baz Luhrmann's House of Gucci, probably a better movie than Ridley Scott's House I'm, of Gucci. I'll throw it out there because I hated that movie, too. I think if you switched Baz Luhrmann and Ridley Scott and Ridley Scott directed Austin Butler in an Elvis biopic, 
and Baz Luhrmann did this movie, I think we win twice. I think I, I think we do, too. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think we do. Yeah. They're both just more fun and better. Also, man, like, I think Ridley Scott could have nailed 70s Elvis. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's 100 percent. But yeah, I um, think Ridley Scott is directing the overly serious again, the the Academy Award version of this movie, the, the version of this movie that he thought would get nominated. Adam Scott is in that or Adam Scott, uh, um, not Adam Scott, Adam Driver, awesome, Adam Driver, Adam Driver is in that movie. He is doing He's the only one in that movie. Yeah, he's doing the serious movie. And it feels like when Al Pacino is not there at all, but it feels like everyone else and maybe most specifically Salma Hayek under, are in the campy version. And that's what they want to be making. But it just doesn't work because nothing is fun. Well, yeah. And because here. So here's the premise of the movie. If you don't know, 25 a, minutes it, in. 25 minutes in yeah staying laser focused as the type of laser focus that you come to expect from slp we actually um, look our tangents got us back to where we started we're we're cloverleaf and baby we're we're looping back around yeah uh so this is obviously a biopic mostly of patrizia uh gucci but of the gucci family and uh sort of their rise to power as a major fashion house and their uh, fall and, and their fall, and yeah. th which then leads to uh, Patricia hiring hitmen to murder her ex-husband. Yep. And it's all set in the swinging coke-fueled world of the 70s and 80s fashion industry. It was like, you know, Adam Driver played it so serious the whole time. But then at the end when he was getting shot on those steps and he was just like, Mamma mia! Oh, no! <laughs> That's a spicy bullet! <laughs> oh, no, this is a ragu! Oh, it's not a ragu, it's a blood! Oh, no! I'm a dying! <laughs> I'm a dying here! <laughs> yeah, well, then the, when the cab went by and he slammed on the hood and said, Hey, I'm dying here! <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, this, like... It, this could have been... This should have been utter schlock. No, look, yeah, I mean, Schumacher's no longer with us. You know, Baz Luhrmann would be a great choice. John Waters could have taken a crack oh, at God. it. John Waters, House of Gucci. Yes, please. <laughs> Sign me up. But no, it needed that just completely over-the-top melodrama director. Because a lot of the pieces were there. A lot of the needle drops were the, the super, like, 80s... You know, they're playing Blondie. They're playing these like, you know, great songs that if someone made even like someone like Michael Mann, it just with the neon, you know, just if someone was making it look super 80s and super cheesy, it just needed someone that wasn't seriously just playing it like, OK, well, we're we're making art here and let's just make it as serious as possible. Let's make everything look as good. Like really, Scott, just. I it's a weird thing to say, but approached it too seriously. Yeah, no, I think I think that's the nail on the head is that it's um, I have no doubt that Ridley Scott probably could make a good Gucci movie. But he like he just it's just the wrong approach. Yeah, it's just the wrong director for the project. I, I really do think that he he is mis you know misplaced and i know well, it's interesting because i don't know the exact history but i know that he 
was attached to this, then wasn't attached to this, then was again. So maybe he even had some awareness that yeah. he wasn't well, the right person for the job. And, and here's the thing. I, you're definitely, I think, a bigger Ridley Scott fan than I am. I know that Gladiator ranks as one of your all-time favorites. It's great. Yeah. I mean, Ridley Scott. Yeah. I, I The stuff that he has made that is like I love, I really love. But I, I will say this, and I, I'm, I think you'll agree. He doesn't make fun movies. No. Uh, well, Glad. I think that's why Gladiator won Best Picture, because it's a really good action movie, but it's still made as if it is a drama, you know, like all of the scenes that are the dramatic scenes are played like they are, you know, Shakespeare or something, you know, they're, they're not typical action movie villains. You know, Joaquin Phoenix is a really good villain because he actually is, you know, getting to exercise these acting chops. He's not just like a mustache twirling villain. Right. And, but like, I love Alien. I love Blade Runner. Legend might be the only fun movie that Ridley Scott has made. Yeah, I mean, well, now I'm like, do I need to pull up the filmography to see if we're we're missing something? But I think you might be right. Yeah, because and, and he no, he makes so many good movies, but they're not like. I, I, there's just not a time where I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna put on a Ridley Scott flick to really just kick back and chill. Like that's not. No, you definitely have to be in the right mood, I think. And, and, and I do. I, I mean, there, I'll, I'll go back and watch Alien a bunch. I'll watch Gladiator anytime. Like if I'm coming across it, ooh, Gladiator's on. Let me watch that um, or whatever. And I because I love the movies. But like he, another good example is uh, he did Matchstick Men, right? That should have been a fun movie and it wasn't. Yeah, it's another one that you needed it to be Ocean's Eleven or something. And it, you know, again, is played. Oh, you know what? I think the other fun movie that he did do, which it, I know it sounds a little weird calling it fun, but I think that he nailed the tone of is Thelma and Louise. OK, that you might have a point with that. Yeah. But again, that speaks to just how freaking diverse Ridley Scott is. Well, that's why I was like, I got to look at this IMDb because. Um, well, and the crazy thing, Tony Scott, all fun movies. Yes. Which. Weirdly, you know, just to tie everything together and and just the weird connections to this year's Oscars with this movie is that Lady Gaga dedicated her performance at the Oscars to Tony Scott because he uh, directed the original Top Gun. And so she dedicated the song that she wrote for Top Gun Maverick to him. Uh, Yeah. But like, yeah, Tony Scott made very serious, silly, very silly movies. And. Obviously, I love him probably even more than Ridley Scott because his most frequent collaborator was Denzel Washington, which is how you make me love you. Yeah, 100 percent, you know, dead on. Um, Yeah, that, like <sighs> another I, again, I don't know if this is I, I don't think we're quite ready to pivot, but I don't know where to put this point. Um, the sex scene that lady gaga and adam driver have in like the first act when they're still dating when he like leaves his family to go be an employee at her tri- at her family at is, that the uh, one that, is it in the car is it it's in the no it's in the office oh the one in the office okay because there is well there's i forgot that there were multiple sex scenes because there is like the when he's driving when he's when he's adam driver <laughs> good night everybody <laughs> But uh, but she like I mean, her head disappears from the frame in that scene. Yes. 
Yeah, but you're right. They they fool around at the office. And it's it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like the noises she's making are noises that people don't make. Like it's the scene is just it's it's hilarious. It is. Yeah. Um, and I I feel like that needs to go in the maligning portion. I will say, I think the first this movie's also too long, but I want to say the first half was more fun than the second half, I feel like. And the second half is when the it murder stuff happens. Yeah, the second half should be the more fun. Because, again, if you think about Goodfellas, you know, obviously all the setup stuff and the walking through the restaurant and, you know, all, like establishing everything. But it's really when uh, they, you know, do the montage of everyone being killed and, you know, Layla gets played and that the movie takes a turn that Goodfellas becomes amazing. Right. And like, it's definitely the first act of Goodfellas is more fun. Right. But the, the end of that movie is so good. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like the first half lulls you into being like, oh, what a fun movie. I like these guys. And they're like, oh, right. Oh, oh, oh that's right. These that's guys right. are they're not good people. Yeah. These these people. Yeah. That's, this is why, <laughs> you know, uh, but, this is why they're they all died in prison. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, like House of Gucci does the setup fun part well, but then. Yeah, once everything falls apart and there, there's a lot of good stuff in there sort of for dramatic, you know, tension and, and fun things to arise. You have uh, Jared Leto's character being shut out. You have Adam Driver just totally being like, uh, you know, hey, babe, I've got a new lady. See ya. I'm I'm divorcing you now. And then that's re- and then that's really when Salma Hayek uh, shines as the psychic who's just taking her money and telling her whatever she wants to hear. Uh, and, you know, she's desperately trying to get a hold of her husband who will not talk to her, which is why she murders him. Right. All that stuff and should be great. It should be. That should be the meat of the film. But it's somehow not as interesting as working your way through the mail room to become the head of Gucci. Yeah. Um, the only thing we haven't mentioned yet is Jeremy Irons. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you he, know what a great anagram for Jeremy Irons is? Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. <laughs> yes. He, uh, just to be clear, is in the movie. If you were wondering. Yeah. He's in the movie. He also, if you were wondering how all of our tangents still tie back to this, was also in the Batman with the Colin Farrell's Penguin. So everything was even more connected than you ever realized. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he he's there. He has scenes with Al Pacino. That seems on paper like it should be great. I don't feel like looking back through, but that might be the first time that's happened. It's entirely possible. Talk about another guy, by the way, who. If you like, if you asked me to imagine Jeremy Irons and Al Pacino having a scene together, I'm picturing Al Pacino from Heat talking to Jeremy Irons from Die Hard with a Vengeance of just like <laughs> somebody had fun talking to like, you know, you can get shot walking your doggy. Like, that's what <laughs> I'm imagining is happening. Instead, it's like. Oh, well, on children, oh, you know, they're, they're fun in the way. And, uh, yeah. Rich, 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 rich. No, I, I'm picturing uh, Watchman Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think like, I would have told you my plan if <laughs> there was any chance? I know he doesn't say that in that because it's a sequel, but still. Right. But yeah. um, he plays but, the same character. But Ozymandias. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but no, Jeremy, like, I love Jeremy Irons. He is great. Uh, and he's, he, he, he doesn't Harrison Ford quite as much as Al Pacino does, but. I don't think he's capable of it. Jeremy Irons is too just he's animated. Too good. He's too good and too animated that even when he phones it in, you're like, this is still compelling. Well, because he has the gravitas of that, of his just Britishness as well. That makes it harder to phone it in. I'm sure he could find a way. If anybody could, Jeremy Irons could. Yes. Let's let's all hope that we see that day. Yeah. I think what we're saying is let's pitch a movie where Jeremy Irons... Al Pacino and Harrison Ford are three old grandfathers who uh, have to work together. No, to re- all they do, they're the alibi for their sons who are robbing a bank. <laughs> and their job is to bore the police with their Abe Simpson-esque <laughs> anecdotes. See, I was wearing an onion on my belt, as was the fashion at the time. Well, uh, no, I remember that my son was with me because we were talking about airplanes. And, uh, you know, I was saying that I like Cessnas. And uh, he he was talking about uh, the Boeing company and the, and the work that they've done in aviation. Yeah, that was a good hair support. I like thank, that. that thank you. Well done. You just talk about uh, airplanes. Yeah. Um, no, you. they each get one take to do their scene. Yep. But here's Whatever a, they want to do with it. Look, I'm not normally a method guy, but the way that we do it is we also make them wait two hours to film it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we just keep saying, oh, very sorry, Mr. Ford. There's a problem with the lights. We're trying to get them set up, but just keep... It'll be any minute now. Just, 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 just hang tight. Just hold. <laughs> I gotta... I gotta get out of here. <laughs> and we also sorry just we were also filming all of that that all yes, goes in the it's movie. all on film it's all <laughs> we're gonna use inter, intercut things um here's the question yeah. who interrogates them that's a great question i don't know why i first thought best thought but i mean I, it's the i came up with the idea that seemingly every auteur male director did this past year anyway margot robbie <laughs> i was gonna say adam driver but I, margot robbie works okay so it's margot robbie and adam driver good cop, obviously bad she's the them. bad cop yes yeah yeah she's <laughs> like putting cigarette butts out on their hands and adam driver is just like i can't control her i'm so sorry she's, she's just, like, i can't control her i can't i can't there's a lot of scenes where he's holding her back <laughs> she's like, let me at him <laughs> It's like, Margo, no! <laughs> Can't do that! And she, Stop! I know what you're thinking, and don't worry. She definitely turns in her badge and her gun and is off the case. Yes. And, it's, it's, and then vigilantes <laughs> her way to justice. Yeah, and she uh, murders. Ladies and gentlemen, Hardily Quinn part two. She, she ends up murdering Jeremy Irons in the end. Yes. Yeah. B- by hand, just bare fists. Just, just beats him to death. <laughs> And his last words are actually, somebody had fun, and then he dies. <laughs> Let's make this movie. It's great. It doesn't even matter who plays the son. You know what? You never see the bank robbing sons. They're no, not never on once. camera. <laughs> All you see is, uh, the, we'll figure out what mask to wear to kind of homage like the town and Point Break and all that. Yeah, you gotta have good 
latex masks. masks. Yeah. Um, they'll all be dressed as Grimace from McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> or different. I think one should be the Hamburglar. Yes, one is the Hamburglar. For yeah, sure. It's the and Hamburglar, then, Grimace, and... And Birdie. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, like, the, 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 the McDonald Land characters no one cares about. But also, it's not just latex masks. They wear the full costumes. The full costume. They're robbing a bank as Grimace. And it's there's a five-minute uncut uh, take where Grimace tries to get in the back of the getaway car and can't fit in in the costume. <laughs> But they're so distracted by the the old men. Well, that's uh, yeah. We talking to the tellers because we keep cutting. Yeah, we keep cutting back to the old men, and so it's that classic action trope where it's crazy action happening in the street, and then it just cuts back to Al Pacino just being like, you know, and and then I had to send back the pasta a third time. Uh, the pasta was not good. <laughs> I kept telling him, you know, too much butter. Al dente. <laughs> and then it weirdly, he's like, if I was a man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this restaurant. I want it so al dente, it's raw. <laughs> uh, uh, this is the best I'm movie. I'm a fan of man. <laughs> <laughs> So many names. <laughs> I forgot. Oh man, uh, this is our best pitch yet. I think. Yeah. Did we even it. have we even gotten to the silver linings yet? We haven't, have we? No, not remotely. Okay. Um. <laughs> how ridiculous Jared Leto was brought me joy. I hate to give him a silver lining because he was so bad, but I was like, God damn, you're going for it, bud. He he felt it in his guts. He felt it in my guts. <laughs> no, I, to be clear, do not care for Jared Leto. Nor do I. But The official stance of this podcast is we are not Leto heads. But it is funny what it's he's fun. doing in this movie. It is goddamn hilarious what he's doing in this movie. I don't know if he knows that it's hilarious, and I kind of hope that he doesn't. But it's hilarious. It is epically hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah, I would count that as a silver lining. And I would count that scene with him and Lady Gaga as a silver lining. Every scene they had together was a silver lining. It, like, it was a game of, like, Willie Callcut Chicken. And I don't think either actor knew that they were playing that game either. No, I mean, they were doing what you and I did at the beginning of this podcast, but neither one of them swerved. No, no, no one was they, me. They, they, had, they had more commitment to the bit than you or I did. Yeah, they they I think they did it on the first day on the first take and then we're like, well, well, he's oh, using well, that. So, well, he, he said print on that take. So I guess this is where we are now. We have to have continuity. <laughs> um, A genuine silver lining. Selma Hayek was great. She was. Selma Hayek, I think, had the most unironically successful you know like role in this movie because Salma Hayek I think was aware of how she was playing the part was playing it intentionally like that and it was what the role called for I think she mm -hmm. actually is good in this movie no I think I think she's the only person in the movie maybe Adam Driver maybe well again I think Adam Driver is acting really well in the movie but I don't think 
I think he did exactly what he was hired to do, but I think it was a mistake to have him. Well, he acted in the prestige version of this movie. Right. So I think you could make an argument that he's giving the correct performance for the movie that Ridley Scott made. And I, I in no way fault Adam Driver for anything that happens in this movie. I think that he did a very good job, you know, in it. But I think it was the instincts to have him play it that way and to make the movie the prestige drama were not the correct. Instincts. No, I, I don't. I don't think they were the right move in any way. But no, Salma Hayek is playing a patently ridiculous human being. Yes. Patently ridiculously. Yes, and yes, she knows that it's ridiculous. She knows that. I mean, essentially, her character. If it's not clear, if you haven't seen the movie, she plays a psychic, like a TV psychic. Who an absolute con woman of a cold reading psychic. Yeah, just a con woman like and completely unrepentant who does not even really need any sort of, you know, like she seemed you get the impression that because she's involved in the murder of Adam Driver at the end, that it did not take any convincing that she if at any point within five minutes of meeting her, Lady Gaga had said, like, we need to kill my, my husband. She would be like, yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I got guys. I got guys I can call. And it's great. I can't believe it took this long for you to ask. It's great. I knew you'd ask because I'm psychic. Uh, but she's like haggling with the the hitman, the hitman. over the price. Uh, it, like, No, she is pure gold in this movie. And I love Selma Hayek so much. No, Selma Hayek is, I think. In general, still underrated as an actress. One hundred percent. Yeah. And she's, she's great in everything and she does not get that credit. Like. From Dogma to all the Robert Rodriguez movies, uh, as Santanica Pandemonium in From Dust Till Dawn, she's fantastic. I forgot that name, but yeah, good job. That's the that's a, I I how how did you forget that name? <laughs> but Her yeah. name is Santanica Pandemonium. That's the best name ever. She also. If I have a daughter, I'm naming her Santanica Pandemonium McIntyre. Yeah, make that happen. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 worth it. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, she was Jack Donaghy's best love interest on yeah, 30 for Rock. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, like she's perpetually value added in everything. And she, she like, she understood the assignment more than anybody in this movie. 100%. And the eye rolls of the self-serious, uh, backslapping Lady Gaga interviews just her just like, it's like this white bitch is like that's the look on her face the whole time yeah do yourself a favor i know that you already have been barreling down the freeway in your cars and then you had to stop once to watch then you the state checked to, to watch the the uh the visit from the pope state sketch but you've been rolling along again but i'm gonna ask you one more time to slam on those brakes and find the lady gaga salma hayek uh, press junket interview where Lady Gaga says that she had to release Fabrizia after yeah. the film and Salma Hayek just rolls her eyes at her. It's so good. It's so like that video existing in and of itself is a silver lining for this movie because if this movie doesn't get made, that press junket doesn't happen and that meme of a video doesn't get created. That's true. Yeah. So yeah, this movie did not win any Oscars. No. It did it, not. It, but like there was buzz for Jared Leto. It, if you look at the critics reviews of this movie, like 
it is wildly disparate of the critics praising the acting performances and being like, they're fucking with us, right? <laughs> well, and it's wild. Like one of the, you know, the movies that we did on uh, the show this year was Blonde, which obviously nobody liked and was terrible. But Anna Dharma still was nominated for an Oscar. So, like, I think people even when they saw it and didn't maybe think the movie was great, still thought it was going to get acting nominations. Mm-hmm. Um. The only other thing I want to talk about, just because it was a wild piece of IMDb trivia, but apparently uh, Lady Gaga and Salma Hayek filmed a sex scene that wasn't in the script, but then they didn't end up using it. Which, you just know, like what a what a weird thing to have happened. Is it, though? I mean, because what I take from that is what I would imagine we would all take from that, which is you're hanging out on set with Salma Hayek and she says, Hey, you know, it'd be fun. What if we just did a sex scene? That's not in the script. Well, you can say no, no one's saying no to that. No one in the world is saying no to that. Yeah. So like, honestly, just, I didn't think I could like Salma Hayek more than I already did, but you know, here we, here, here we are, here we are. God bless her. You know, God. Yeah. If, if there's one takeaway, uh, God bless Salma Hayek and everybody like it a Gucci. Honestly, I think the biggest silver lining is that we're here, me and my friend Andy, and we're hanging out and we're talking to movies and the magic of the movies. Yeah, the magic of the movies and the silver linings of the movies that maybe we don't like us so much, but uh, we find other things that we like. Uh, the real silver linings are the gabagool that we ate along the way. <laughs> Got the love of the gabagool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mamma Mia. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. How many times has this happened to you? I just want to listen to a podcast. I can't choose from all these complicated structures and setups. You want to listen, not think. That's why there's Hobo Radio. You'll feel like the smartest guy in the room in a room by yourself. This doesn't take any intellectual thinking at all. Thanks, Hobo Radio. Hobo Radio, a weekly podcast on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network. Amaron!